and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 131. In this episode, I'm going to be covering the discography of Peaceful Records from 1989 through to 1999, taking like a decade snapshot of like a particularly interesting set of releases to me from that label, much like with my Eric episode or Roadrunner Records uh, episode, because there's so many releases, a lot of them will be very fast reviews of stuff that is obviously of complete classic status now, if you you know much about the discography of Peaceville. So with that classic stage of a lot of those albums in mind, I thought this would be quite an easy episode to research, because you know, a lot of albums I know very well and know a lot about. But there two challenges came up with this. One, I've got Hammy's autobiography, the founder of Peaceville, so I thought, oh, I'll read that ahead of time, forgetting that reading a 400-page book in a week is actually a bit of a challenge for me. Um, and the second is, possibly the most prolific artist on the label in this time period was My Dying Bride, who are a band I don't really know that well, not hugely into. Nothing against them, just never put the time in. So, yeah, I had two-week crash course in trying to get into My Dying Bride, so apologies for big fans of theirs. I know they've got a very dedicated fan base. This will be fairly first-pass reviews of um, of those albums. But, yeah, the, the book I sort of used to, like as a good background to this at any rate, was uh, Paul Hammy Helmshaw's uh, biography, Peaceful Life, which is, is a really decent read. I'd highly recommend, like, sort of, here, it's written by him and has this really, like, interesting kind of conversational tone to it where he sort of, like, anecdotally tells about how he signed all his bands and intersperses this with kind of conversations with... Uh, various personnel and band members over the years and it's full of really fun anecdotes and like Peaceville seems like obviously it's in his own words so it's always going to make him look good but it seems like quite an antidote to Eric's very sort of capitalist <laughs> mindset where you know later on a lot of those early Eric bands really fell out with the label whereas Peaceville like definitely not as successful in the same way did seem a lot more dedicated to the bands, but, you know, obviously it's going to look that way from their, <laughs> their writing about it, but the bands seem to have a lot of positive words to say about him. I'm not going to spoil the book all that much. I, I do advise if you like this kind of um, style of, like, running through the history of a label or that kind of thing, just just go and read it. it it's well worth picking up. It's a really, really interesting, and there's a couple of anecdotes in there that, like, were completely new to me, even about bands like Opeth, like, who, who I thought I'd basically heard everything about. It's also worth noting, uh, Hammy set up a few, like, kind of sub-labels that had slightly different offerings that might get mixed into this list, uh, Dreamtime, Death Records, and Octopus later on. Um, so yeah, if if some stuff, like, might technically be a peaceful reissue, but it's like a peaceful reissue, like, a year later, so... Hopefully it more or less fits the narrative. Obviously with something like this where I'm trying to list 50 albums, I might get the odd year of release wrong or have a few things in there that are actually technically re-releases. So yeah, please don't, don't get too offended if I do get some of the details wrong in this. So Peaceful was initially set up by uh, Paul Hammy Helmshaw, who will be referring to as Hammy for the most of this episode when he's mentioned as a kind of outlet for his, um, his kind of punk recording so he could put out like sort of DIY kind of tape releases from punk bands he was in such as like Civilized Society or The Instigators or Sore Throat and like friends of his he could do releases for in this incredibly kind of underground like crusty punk kind of way and 
a lot of these early releases like from about 87 through to 89 not so much being very very raw punk in that kind of style where you know <laughs> it's mixing your album too much was seen as selling out so this is like very raw rough and ready stuff but as we sort of come towards the end of the decade there starts to be a few more interesting bands getting onto the getting onto the label the early ones is uh Toronaga with Bastard Ballads, their debut album, which kind of felt like a bit of a... It's an interesting one with, like, kind of a slightly angry, sort of fresh album, but then there's, like, a very clear Ride the Lightning influence where, like... Because the vocal approach is quite gruff. Uh, it seemed quite odd in this album where things would re regularly take a turn towards sort of fade-to-black-style melodicism. It's quite a fun release, not, not necessarily the sort of the most interesting or original thrash album but the the combination of the the harsh and melodic is is certainly interesting then coming into 89 we have a couple more kind of bands in the uk in that sort of punky thrash vein we've got decadence within with their debut this lunacy which really feels like a kind of a fun bridge between the sort of punky style that would sort of lead into that kind of early napalm death sound um and then some kind of slightly more technical sort of fresh leanings in places um it's very raw and like the production kind of leaves a bit to be desired but the uh, the vocal approach and like the gang vocals really feel like an interesting overlap between punk and fresh like it's a fun album. I wouldn't say it's incredible, but I, I certainly enjoyed it. And then um, we have Axe Grinder with their debut and I think only album. Oh, no, no, they, they did actually reform and put out a second one much, much later. But their 89 debut, The Rise of the Serpent Men. This one I had a lot of fun with. This Again, it's, you know, a bit of a crossover between punk and thrash but then there's a bit of like death metal in this as well it's the mix is again it's pretty raw but i like the the kind of size of it the, the the bass feels huge it feels very very big and present even if it's uh very rough and ready and the vocals are really cool like again that, that sort of slight death metal edge coming into it really really adds something it's a very primitive kind of album for this sort of genre but for the time period it's it makes sense and i honestly think this one actually holds up as still being a really fun release there's a few other things we get some early releases from punk band doom um insurrection self-titled and um and a live release from electro hippies a kind of quite psychedelic weird band um fame for being an early early band to involve jeff walker of of carcass fame they're probably like I'm not going to focus on any of that stuff too much because you know, as listeners know I'm not not really much of an expert on punk so like a lot of those releases they're enjoyable but they yeah still have that real like DIY punk aesthetic and I don't think any of them would be stuff I'd really likely revisit regularly. This brings us to one of the first overseas sort of releases for Peaceville. This is Extra Hot Sauce with their debut and only release Taco of Death. Um, it's a short-lived project of Dan Licker of early anthrax fame and shortly after this project would go on to form brutal truth among myriad other things actually playing uh drums and vocals in the, this project um 
it's awful. I fucking hate this album. Like it, the, I I can't understand what is happening in the mix. It sounds like the whole thing is recorded on a tape recorder, like just put in a practice space, which might well be the case. And it's kind of like yeah, like a kind of early punky grind album in in the vein of like say like maybe that like first old lady drivers album, but with like a mix such you can't hear anything going on. Um, and it's full like there's like three covers in it, which are just like the joke is just them doing paranoid communication breakdown and Freebird really badly, I think. Um, yeah, I, I could see... This is definitely one of these things, like, I could see the appeal of this at the time, but I couldn't get past the feeling that uh, Taco of Death was a joke at the listener's expense. But, you know, as I say, he would shortly go on to form Brutal Truth, so go on to actually like put out some really good stuff very soon. I just don't think this was quite it. Yeah, so you may have noticed I've been a bit down on some of these 1989 bands with Peaceville. And it, that's that's just a disconnect with genre. Like, these are very DIY punk kind of influenced bands. And, and that's, that's not really my thing. The reason I included this year is for the next band. This is Autopsy with their debut album, Severed Survival. Which, for me, is just an absolute death metal classic. So... Autopsy ended up with the label when they sent the demos to Earache, who passed on them, and then Jeff Walker of Carcass fame recommended them to Peaceville, who jumped the chance immediately. Strikes me as a baffling move. Earache didn't take them on. Like, a band formed by the drummer from Death's Scream Bloody Gore album, where he's also doing vocals, which is really cool. Um, just seems like an, an obvious choice in 1989, like, as the death metal explosion is going. But yeah bafflingly didn't come together the the band doesn't quite have a full lineup at this point um they but they do have guest musician steve DiGiorgio playing bass and there's such like a kind of a charm to the mix of seven survival i think it's one of the many reasons i, I love it so much like the bass sounds absolutely huge and in your face with a tone that really shouldn't work at all but just does the drums sound that you can so clearly hear it is the guy from screen bloody gore they have that same feel to them and and we have that sort of same approach to to sort of songwriting as like screen bloody gore except things that are all a bit more a little bit more nasty like chris river's vocals are this great kind of really gruesome snarl and yeah and i absolutely love the guitar tone on this album like the lead guitars particularly sounds amazing and it, it is one of those really funny things where apparently like the band were really saw themselves in opposition to the rest of the bay area in terms of technicality but then they have steve DiGiorgio on bass who's like um you know the guy who largely is responsible for introducing like jazz rock fusion influences into technical death metal not many years later and actually as well like the guitar work of the the two guitarists in this like while the riffs are kind of straightforward as that very 4-4 straight ahead death metal like the solos are pretty fancy and take up a good portion of the album like almost every song has a like properly like 40 second plus uh guitar solo section and they're often kind of quite melodic and memorable the uh the one in like servicing a vacant coffin always like sticks with me as just being like super cool and as i said the, the the charm of the mix is kind of amazing in a way because 
like like the band um this has been kind of corporate in a few different places pretty much took the like reasonably meager budget given to them by peaceville and mainly spent it on weed and then used the last like third to actually record and mix the album so the whole thing you know it's done super fast but you know just has that energy of a band who were clearly like playing and practicing all the time um and then there's the interesting detail as well like uh, this is explained in the sort of the bonus edition of the um like seven survival reissue but like there's two covers to this album like i always thought one was a kind of like um much later re-release to look less brutal but apparently they're both from around the same time so they have like the famous front cover of the the human body being ripped apart on chains very um Oh god, what's the film? Hellraiser. I had to go Google man with spikes in head. Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that was very embarrassing. But yeah, then they have the other cover, which is like the the four ghoulish operators looking down, like uh, uh, sort of POV of being on like a, an operating table. And apparently this was just like a second one put out by Peaceful because they were getting a lot of heat for the first and the band apparently love both of them which is is very cool like i actually i do like the less gory one i think it's quite kind of sinister and upsetting in its own way but yeah it's rare that like a band have that thing with like a censored cover we're actually quite happy with that version uh, being out in existence particularly a theme that will come up a fair few more times with uh with autopsy but yeah like Seven survival absolute masterpiece release like such a strong debut and something like i just don't think is age today it still sounds utterly incredible and unique Coming into 1990, we have um, the second album from Deviate Instinct, uh, Guttural Breath, which is like another one of those sort of punk meets fresh death kind of releases. Um, it has a cover that's kind of collagey that has a very kind of early napalm death vibe to it. And yeah, it's 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 a cool release. Like, it's definitely showing sort of a trend in the UK scene at the time. I, I can't remember if I mentioned they're a UK band. Like, there, there is this kind of melding of like punk and death metal like coming together it feels like there's less of that standoff as there was between like punk and thrash like so this has elements like i would call it a death metal album but i could definitely i like understand so i'm making the case for it being punk another one with like a really cool bass tone just a touch too raw like the whole it like 
doesn't I think if it was tighter and had a heftier guitar tone it'd be I'd really like it as it stands it's a cool album but not amazing then there's another two that just I tried to get into and weren't quite for me uh Decadence Within Soul Wound I just sort of bounced off it didn't really land with me and then Sonic Violence uh Jagged um is a like kind of a proto sort of industrial type thing again it just I think it's a debut it just didn't quite hit there was there was something kind of odd about that really interesting release that kind of shows the kind of flux peaceful in at this time is new blood from the forearms of peaceful a four like track kind of split between four bands uh ggfh who are kind of an interesting experimental band who kind of sit more on those other labels i was talking about they're kind of some of hammy's additional ones pitch shifter who we will get to but are in a very different place to what you possibly know them for. Amnesia, who short-lived UK thrash band, whose debut ended up coming out on a different album to Peaceful, I believe. And Dark Throne, um, <laughs> in a very early incarnation. So yeah, like, definitely, like, the, they're the mix of genres, like, kind of death metal, thrash metal, industrial, and then kind of more kind of electronic stuff so like i think you know reading through the book hammy seemed to be at this point like he was just putting out music he really loved so we have all these like sort of crust bands from his early time there but then as like sort of crust sort of i don't know maybe tailed off a bit in popularity you get all that wave of interesting electronic music from the the late 80s early 90s that he remains quite involved with for a lot of these intervening years i'm going to mainly be focusing on the metal releases from this time and then yeah like you can see all this like sort of death metal coming in as well with that we're going to get to the big like death metal sort of trend that peaceville would be involved in the the peaceful free famously paradise lost anathema and my dying bride sort of what the label is really well known for and the first release of that group lost paradise by paradise lost came out that year 1990 and this is a supremely confident debut as people know like paradise lost have had that kind of very kind of core lineup for most their their time sort of four completely consistent members with a relative low rotation of drummers and it seems like by the time the guys are going to studio for lost paradise they really know what they're doing nick holmes vocals sound absolutely beastly at this point in time like so low and like commanding the band's songwriting is far more strictly death metal but it's death metal at a happily slower pace like even this early on they don't feel the need to be like really blasting the way for every songs they're happy to kind of give the riffs some space and you know get that feeling of doom in there there's little hints of what would be coming in their sound tracks like rotting misery with all sort of dramatic keyboards in there or brooding fear with the the guest clean vocals would be like a hint of what's going to happen on the next few albums the thing that really kind of makes it so much feel like paradise lost i think is greg mcintosh's lead guitar at this point like he already has that sort of signature sound to like those sort of quite melodic bits of lead he throws in there there's a real there's a real cool style to what he's doing whereas like nick holmes i think i remember reading an interview he's saying like his technique for screaming wasn't quite right on these early albums and he'd really like hurt himself doing some of these vocals and they sound amazing but it does mean like 
if you've heard them playing songs like from their earlier material later on his vocals are quite different the overall mix of the album sounds incredibly sort of tight and professional in comparison to a lot of what peaceful have been putting out so far and i don't know how much of this is the band spending you know having more money spent on it or they were just so rehearsed that it came out perfectly but whatever it is yeah, this this sounds really good for a very early 90s death metal release. Now, certainly, I think Lost Paradise has dated in ways more than, say, some of the, the four albums that would follow it for Paradise Lost, but I think it's still certainly got its charms. Things like, you know, the big intro and outro feel a little unnecessary on it, uh, but I, I, still, I still really enjoy this album. Coming into 91, we get a set of really exciting releases. Dark Throne put out their debut, Soulside Journey, a, basically a different band to what um, what we'd later hear from Dark Throne, although the lineup is is more or less the same, except for one um, one additional member in the form of Dag Nilsson playing bass, like Femrose is on drums, Nocturnal Culto is lead guitar and vocals, but what they're playing on this album is an incredibly, like, sort of technical brand of that, like, sort of Swedish-style death metal, you know, the, these bands were friends with a lot of the the sort of Stockholm scene kind of guys and were doing something in that vein, but really Soulside Journey, I, I do think, is kind of the peak of that scene, like, maybe the best would be putting it way too far but it really i do think it is up there with some of those sort of classics from that that kind of era of like the left hand path and like an ever-flowing stream it's immensely technical competent proficient there's some really interesting kind of progressions and structures to the the very short songs and and honestly it's just 40 minutes is just really brilliant start to finish and a very impressive release from a group of young musicians who were then about to go on and do something very interesting but yeah the, i think it um still holds up really well quickly following up on their debut autopsy put out their second album mental funeral which I, I mean, I think many would hold this up as their best release, and it does feature like stuff like In the Grip of Winter, which is hard to argue, like, easily one of their best songs. Um, much like the previous album, it does sound like they spent a lot more of the budget on weed again, because this is a very raw recording. I think for me, 
I slightly prefer the mix of Seven Survival, and I don't know how much that has to do with the the change in bass players. We now have uh, Steve Cutler, um, Eric Cutler's brother, coming on bass, and he's a solid player. But you you're never gonna quite compete with the other Steve who was playing on the previous um, the previous album. The yeah, it doesn't quite have that same heft, but it's still it's a really cool album, and the kind of rough gnarliness of it fits with the whole presentation of Autopsy. They are such a gross, provocative band. Chris's vocals sound absolutely horrible in this. Like, real, real gurgling, deep gruesomeness. I love it. And, and like, his drumming's got more interesting as well. There's lots of really interesting fills and kind of more complex beats happening in places to my ears. I'm not a drummer, so I could be completely wrong on that. But it, it like, you know, tracks like Robbing the Grave do sound like he's he's throwing some more more stuff in there. Like, yeah, really, really great release from them. Um, Hammy in the book uh, claims he, he actually plays the bong on Robbing the Grave. So I'm, I'm not quite, I don't know if I can quite work out where that fits in the song, but interesting guest position with another american death metal band joining the roster as well in the form of baphomet with their debut inheritors of the dead this is a a bit of a tough listen these days it is an incredibly like sort of raw recording it sounds very demo quality but it does show the band um you know up incredibly like fast and brutal like I've, I've seen some refer to this as like a very early example of brutal death metal and while it's not ultra low this is there are no melodic hooks in this this is just sort of a you know a punch in the face of a death metal release for me like i'm always going to listen to the next album over inherited inherit the dead like it's just it is just a little too raw a little too hard to pick out what's going on and yeah i'll be back to talk about them in a bit more anyway because the, the next album will be coming up fairly soon in this one of the other like sub labels death records has quite a quite a few interesting releases this year we have pitch shifter with industrial their debut so many may know pitch shifter is one of the bands that kind of had a relative run of success in the kind of late 90s early 2000s new metal era like when be oddly for for a british band like we didn't have a huge amount of uh bands who did really well in that kind of new metal period but yeah they had a, i remember them having a couple of big singles when i was growing up in hindsight these do very little for me um but you know i've, I've said new metal's never really been my thing but what surprised me going back is their in- debut industrial is a totally different beast so the band has a different vocalist at the time. Uh, bass player Mark D. Clayden, brother of the, the the vocalist who would go on to be there, their son Lee guy, actually does vocals and he does this really gruff, like deeper voice. And their sound on Industrial is full on Godflesh worship. Apparently, like they use the same drum machine and this has like that sort of street cleaner feel. Like it's just really sort of big sounding punishing dark upsetting industrial music and while they will always like an album like this will always be in godflesh's shadow there is like you know denying godflesh was the one who you know cemented what that sounds like if you really enjoy that album i highly recommend industrial it's a really kind of cool catchy release um 
and stuff like there's a track in the middle of this album they use like loads of samples which i find like quite disturbing interestingly sort of a similar selection of samples to Gorefest's false like which is a, a nice bit of synergy but i think I think false is another 91 maybe 92 release so yeah like drawing from a similar world at this time and sort of showing how kind of incestuous sort of a lot of the the labels around the uk were at the time they're going to do one more ep in this style submit a year later on earache records but yeah if you're you're into your kind of um heavy industrial metal check out industrial in time on death records we get the debut from Therion of darkness so yeah as i say a lot of a lot of death metal stuff going around in in hammy's world in 1991 which i guess is no surprise but yeah of darkness it's certainly not my favorite of the um the kind of death metal Therion era i think the the sort of I almost i think they got better as they went on through those first four albums of darkness is very rough and ready but it, it's still like a certainly enjoyable release and definitely a kind of a historical um kind of moment in the swedish death metal scene but yeah for me like lepaka cliff off where they started like incorporating some of those more symphonic uh elements and beyond santorum are other ones i really like from this period and this brings us to i think the really big deal album for peaceful at this point in time this is the second album from paradise lost gothic i'm saying nothing new here pointing out that gothic is an incredible kind of legendary album but it is so interesting to think about it at that point in the time like it came out so fast off the back of their debut lost paradise in which they were starting to push the boundaries and say you could sort of experiment in bringing this doom and slower approach to death metal but with gothic they really find that perfect melding of like their old death metal style with sort of lots more sort of clean melodic elements the pace is slower nick's vocals are kind of a bit higher and more understandable there's there's kind of a bit more range of emotion to them fitting with like the very dark lyrical themes of the album uh, like the lead guitar work has got even more kind of cool and memorable and the, the rhythm section around this like are just creating so many brilliant riffs and like memorable grooves while never really sacrificing the darkness of of the sound like gothic for me i will always stand as like my favorite paradise lost album because it's it just feels so kind of 
bleak and depressing <laughs> in comparison to their rest, which I, I like, and I, I, I like a huge amount of their, their career, but there, there is just a kind of an energy to this that is, is utterly amazing. They, they expand on some of those ideas as well. I mentioned with the Lost Paradise, where there's more keyboards throughout. Uh, Sarah Marion comes back to do vocals on free tracks, adding that kind of really interesting sound of the operatic female vocals played off against Nick's really gruff, low death metal screams. And this must be a really early example of a band doing this. I mean, like, Therion wouldn't be messing around with that kind of idea for, for a good four or so years yet. Like, they they really feel ahead of the curve with this. Because something actually I actually didn't know until researching this episode. So, Gothic comes out before Anathema or My Dying Bride get their debuts out. So, while those two bands are still sort of, you know, in the, the kind of very early genesis of their sound, like coming out with those kind of far more death metal based albums, like Paradise Lost are already kind of moving away from the genre into their, their own ground. And it's it's just amazing the sort of the template they've laid out on this this album. Like, and it, as well, it's, it's one of those brilliantly tight 40 minutes where... 10 tracks none of them are all that long but there's so many ideas so many great riffs there's like no fat on it whatsoever and while like you know peaceful at this point in time will always be second earache with a kind of higher budget and bigger roster you can already see a couple of years into their their run we have a few sort of real legacy classic albums appearing like those early autopsy and gothic you know these truly brilliant albums that without question stand the test of time and of massive wide-ranging influence yeah the the label was really kind of making a place for themselves sadly uh, paradise lost wouldn't stick with them much more beyond this their uh, their further albums uh, with music for nations and moving on to other other various labels but yeah gothic for me is still a real like highlight in that band's discography and a real landmark for doom and death doom metal at this point in time. brings us into 1992 which is a really interesting year for peaceful records we get the third release from autopsy acts of the unspeakable so the third release in three years third bass player as well with uh josh Barron coming in as a ex like suffocation member who was on effigies of the forgotten um and has yeah moved between that's i 
I find for me, this is the point where I sort of drop off with Autopsy. I don't like this album quite as much. They were sort of really pushing the raw, nasty vibe that they'd sort of been creating with the last two albums, taking the songs to even shorter formats. Like, you know, there's a couple of songs on here that have that real grind energy being only only like 20 or 30 seconds and like the longest tracks about four minutes like it's a lot rougher and kind of nastier less technical like way less focus on sort of solos there's no like melodic leads or stuff like that whereas you know there's a bit of that in the past two albums but you know it's still a fun album i just like the first two a lot more also have the first sort of uh, messing with an album cover so uh kent mafu um did this really sort of intricate gruesome piece of like this massive like almost um sort of bosch-esque picture of all these hideous acts happening over this this massive twisted landscape but the release version of the album has the main cover just zoomed in on one point so you can't really see what's going on and to see the full like messed up scene you have to get the fold out sort of poster to go with it it's an interesting thing as well being someone who sort of started getting into music really in like the early 2000s where you think of stuff like this which is as they like really kind of nasty with like deeply upsetting song titles like battery acid enema where you were like this is just gruesome for the sake of it but it is interesting sort of reading about this in the context of the time of there was definitely a point where doing stuff this gruesome and over the top was pushing boundaries in a way that had a lot more value whereas like sort of now it's just you know shrug whatever like when you see a band doing sort of really gross over the top stuff but like like autopsy genuinely landed themselves in trouble for this they got they got banned from playing like you know they had issues in germany they had issues with distribution because they were pushing these boundaries of extremity and sort of what can be said and like it it means like this kind of really gruesome over-the-top stuff sort of has more of an artistic level to it because it is pushing a boundary in an interesting interesting way even if it is you know gross silly and over the top so there's definitely like some points for acts of the unspeakable in a really you know historical setting baphomet also make their return with their second album the dead shall inherit which is this far more sort of polished product versus the first um it's, it's one you probably even if you don't recognize the name you'd recognize the cover of the quite cartoony looking zombie sort of crawling out of the graveyard and just a really kind of solid release far less sort of brutal and harsh than the debut but a lot more polished and just like accessible in a good way it's still a very heavy album it's a very you know harsh brutal death metal album for 1992 and kind of a classic i won't be able to spend too much time on a lot of this stuff coming up because there is a lot of very important albums released in this time period but yeah the dead shell inherit is one of those like really great death metal albums that i think i definitely need to put more time into but really enjoyed um like getting into it for this podcast this is also the year that brings us the rest of the releases from the piece feel free so anathema make their label debut with their first ep the crestfallen like this excellent sort of 33 minute it's it's kind of less polished than some of the albums that will follow but something really in the template of that probably like the first paradise lost album far more focused on the death metal but with that slower pace and real atmosphere to it with some like 
like tracks like They Die are legitimately really good. Um, the uh, title track Crestfallen as well, like a really really strong start from the band. And it was that interesting thing where if a band has like two brothers in it, you know it's going to be good. So um, when <laughs> Anathema turn up with with three brothers in, like this is going to be an interesting project. Like that kind of family pulling together <laughs> a a death metal album. In that vein as well, we have the debut EP and debut album from My Dying Bride. Um, so, as the flowers wither, is the the first um, like sort of album proper. And again, it has that sort of similar energy to Lost Paradise, where there's sort of hints of where the band would go, but it does feel like a far more death metal influenced release. And they're lacking some of like the spark of brilliance that would make their later stuff really good. As I say, for this episode, um, I've been trying to get into sort of my dying bright because I just didn't know them all that well. And they, I think there's six albums in this this time period with Peaceville. As Flowers Wither was good, but I feel it's one of theirs that's dated more than the others. Like it's a really great start point for a band, but. In a year or so, they'll really start to come into their own with these releases. And that finally brings us to the really big one. The, arguably the most important album Peaceful ever put out. This is Dark Throne with their second album, A Blaze in the Northern Sky. So um, I think Dave Pybus, who used to work um, at Peaceful, had a podcast a while ago where I remember him talking about this length of saying how bizarre it was from their point of view being sort of shown this album by Dark Throne. So they'd signed them on the strength of their demos and got Soulside Journey, which was saying like really kind of continued on a trend of that great stuff coming out of Sweden and sort of building on that. Then all of a sudden, this is before the internet where communication is far more sparse and like everything's had to be done by phone and posts at slow paced they just get this package from dark friend that i believe was the finished product of this album with all the promotional photos where they you know the corpse paint the black and white photos the like all this aesthetic and the the album itself is gone from this kind of very polished technically precise death metal to this super raw like incredibly treble heavy you know classic black metal sound but at that point in time no one had heard this. Like, this is one of the first of the Norwegian black metal albums there is. Like, and like the demo scene that sort of led up to this was very underground. This is just before like sort of all that stuff was gonna explode all over the media. And I like they've sort of said in the book, um, like Hammy talks about it, saying like he sort of immediately messaged the band and being like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Like thinking at the time like were they about to fuck up their career like was anyone ready for this like bizarre sound and with the benefit of hindsight you can of course go like oh why didn't why didn't he get this album immediately but i think i would be the same if i was confronted with with true norwegian black metal for the very first time completely out of the blue it would take me time to pass it like he says in the like Hammy the, the the label head says in the book like later it's become his like favorite black metal album ever but at the time he was completely taken aback and thought Dark Throne were making making a mistake but what is utterly incredible about this is thinking the degree to which this K 
became fully formed. Like, A Blaze in Northern Sky is a legendary black metal album, but it has the aesthetic and everything, like, the in terms of the mix, in terms of the way the band look in photos, all that stuff has just come together. And well, there must be, like, tens of thousands of albums that have copied this exact style and way of doing things, like, afterwards. And... Thought from were just kind of there with it. Obviously, they're in a scene. I'm sure. I'm sure the three of them took great influence from from the other bands around at the time. But it is really interesting, like the way they just they just switch into this. Now, you don't mean, need me to go into length of why a blaze in northern sky is is good as a kind of entity in black metal. It's it's just obviously great. But I, I really like the idea in terms of the peaceful catalog of it just appearing and being like. Well, here's a new genre. Like just, just oh, like, out of nowhere, there is a new subgenre, and it's about to become the biggest thing in metal. <laughs> Going into 1993, we get the debut album from Anathema, Serenades, which for me is the one that's probably dated the worst out of the three debuts. Like, there's just something about Serenades that just doesn't quite land, especially in comparison to like the material Anathema would put out afterwards. Which, I, again, I don't even know is necessarily much of an insult. The the like the productivity of that band through the kind of mid nineties is is utterly ridiculous, but it's it's a solid enough Death Doom album. But particularly being the last of the Peaceful Freeze release a debut, it doesn't quite hold up next to a lot of what was going on at the time. You know, being a year after something like Gothic. Um, also, we have Dark Throne rapidly following up um, their new direction change and showing that this uh, this style is definitely here to stay with Under a Funeral Moon, which, you know, continue on very much the same vein of this very raw, um, inc- like, just, you know, setting up the template for that second wave of black metal. It's, for me, it's probably the least interesting of that run of free albums they do with... Um, with Peacefell as a black metal band, but, you know, it's still, still an incredibly solid album. Um, on top of that, we also get um, a series of releases from Pentagram. Um, and in researching this, I found something interesting there of, like, I've had Pentagram's Relentless that Peacefell put out in 1993 for years. Like, I, I picked up a CD of it, you know, easily, like, 15 years back, something like that, and really liked it. It's a, you know, cool kind of, like, sort of Sabbathy proto-metal, very rocky, very kind of catchy album. 
And I realise it sits in a very rare place for me of... It's something I've owned on CD, have listened to a lot, and I know nothing about. I know absolutely nothing about Pentagram. I don't know the history of them. I don't know how many releases they have. I don't know who's in the band. I know zero about it. I've never looked up a single detail about this band. This could be a reissue. This could be when it originally came out. I, I genuinely don't know. And that was such a novelty for me, having a band I liked that I knew nothing about. I've decided I'm going to keep it this way, and I'm just going to never, ever know anything about Pentagram. They just they they will exist like this for me. Um, yeah, because I, I can't think of another band like that that I've put time into listening to their music and never like done the curse really like trawl through metal archives or whatever yeah very um very weird one sign of things to come as well with a split between vital remains and mortis scold um again we'll get to those in, in the coming year and then the other sort of really big thing for this year is, is a pile more stuff from my dying bride so we get um we get another ep there's a, there's a lot of EPs from these bands floating around um, of varying quality. Some are very good, um, and some are the in-dub re- remixes of Paradise Lost, which worth looking up for, uh, for interest's sake. But yeah, like the, the real thing here, though, um, is their second album, the legendary Turn Loose the Swans. So much like with Gothic, My Dying Bride on Turn Loose the Swans kind of find their sound they find that thing they're going to do and it's you know like it's an incredibly sort of brave album for the time period there's so many sort of risks they take with it um the 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 intro uh cme 1993 well i say intro yeah it sort of feels like a slow burn keyboard intro with this this sort of dark poetic voice over the top of it but it's seven minutes long. It's this real sort of poetic mission statement for the band. And then then we get into the more metallic sounding stuff with Your River. But Your River doesn't have any vocals on it for the first four minutes. And then when the vocals come in, rather than them all being this kind of like gruff death metal voice, um, vocalist Aaron starts with his melodic singing and he has a very unique voice like it i think his voice was the thing sort of getting into my dying bride for this episode was the thing i had to sort of latch onto and get my head around because he has such a unique delivery like he's not a technically brilliant singer but he has a lot of emotional depth and he takes great pride in his lyric writing and his delivery and i, I feel like it is very clear he is someone who puts a great deal of effort into his craft but not in the the kind of traditional way and the album oscillates back and forth between these ideas and these slow sort of very melodic's almost the wrong word but very melancholic very dark moments that aren't quite as brutal or death metal and then you get stuff that is more of a, a like a like heavy punchy death metal kind of thing like turn loose this one's a type track gets a bit more kind of metallic and angry whereas snow on my hand you know is is more of a more of a kind of gentle kind of track the other thing that's really interesting with them is what they're adding into the sound so they're a six-piece band and i think they, they basically always have been and on top of that core of the dual guitars and drums vocals you have 
another guy who plays violin or keyboards and that those like melodies are over most the the album like the martin the the violinist plays on the as much as any of the guitarists it's not it's not like occasional textures like with paradise lost or gothic you know about 30 percent of the album has these extra keyboards or clean vocals or whatever with this the the violin is very often like front and center which a really unique choice in in death metal at the time and it's it's kind of fascinating to look at this knowing how kind of fickle the death metal scene could be in 1993 you know you hear stories of like cynic going on tour with cannibal corpse doing their kind of jazz influenced sound um and and you know being sort of booed and shunned like my Down Bride were really taking a risk with what they were doing here, and it's it's definitely paid off long term. I have no idea quite how this sound went down at the time, but they're a band who have kind of stuck to their guns and done their own unique, very uncommercial thing. And I think that's the nicety of a label like Peaceville, is because it's run by one like you know one main character who was signing and finding a lot of these bands he was able to put a lot of money and time behind artists he thought was interesting who weren't necessarily the thing that was going to sell and it means we get albums like turn loose the swans you know following on the back of gothic much like i was saying with dark friend earlier this is kind of inventing its own subgenre. it's a sound that's now very familiar but i think in 1993 would have been incredibly unique Coming into 1994, this one seems like a big year for all the kind of extra labels. You have like Death Records and Dreamtime, loads of stuff comes out in Dreamtime. I'm not going to focus on those too much, it's not really, really my bag. But um, Death Records has stuff like the, I think it's the debut Isengard release, uh, the Femrys kind of solo project. Also, something I realized I completely messed up in researching this episode is Death Records put out the first three. Mortis Scold releases. Um, yeah, as I'm doing this, I've uh, said about that split. I've actually got my. Oh no, that split did come out ever so slightly before Dying Remains. But yeah, 1993, we have Mortis Scold's legendary debut, Dying Remains. And then 
the albums Humanity Fades and For All Eternity in 1995. I forgot to listen to any of those in preparation for this, so my apologies. Um, I know Dying Remains is quite good, but I haven't listened to it in a lot of years, um, and I could not tell you about the other two. Um, but yeah, but they, they are they are a well-known death metal band. I just, yeah, I messed up a bit there. Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, there's two kind of significant releases this year. So we have... Um, the new signing to the label At The Gates with their third album, Terminal Spirit Disease. This is like a very weird transitional period for At The Gates. So uh, guitarist Alf has left the band and Martin Larson has come in and there's a marked change in the sound from their very kind of experimental, odd first couple of releases. Whereas Terminal Spirit Disease really feels like the, the start of what they're going to do on slaughter of the soul an album that was about to become absolutely legendary like you know incredibly important release um funnily enough they would jump ship to earache for that that one terminal spirit disease i think he's an absolutely brilliant album i really really like it. especially the first two tracks the swarm and terminal spirit disease are, are amazing but it's odd because it's only six tracks long um what about 25 minutes and then we have three live songs covering like one song each from the first three releases gardens of grief through with fear um and i mean they're good live tracks but to my mind this is this is an ep a sort of a less than half hour collection of music with some bonus tracks now is is it very exciting as an ep incredibly so it's you know it is en route to shape the face of modern metal, like, for better or worse. We we know that, you know, At The Gates became this sort of massive, like, catalytic influence for the early 2000s American metalcore scene, and with The Swarm, with Terminal Spirit Disease, you really start to hear what they're going to do on Slaughter of the Soul, and, and it's kind of like they've come to this idea very quickly. It didn't take like these songs would equally fit on that album and yeah i i think it's a very enjoyable release it's just yeah as i say clearly in this sort of transitional moment the other big release for this year is dark thrones transylvanian hunger so this one like sort of reading about in the book and hearing from the band as well is like the really bittersweet one because it's in the midst of everything going down in norway and as you probably all all know, Fenris put an immensely edgy, stupid statement into the into the booklet and into the release notes due to no one at Peaceful Speaking Norwegian. This is before Google Translate. This is before for a lot of stuff. They didn't realise quite how edgy or angry a lot of the material they were releasing around the album was. Um, then they got a load of blowback as soon as people realised it. They wanted nothing to do with it. Um, Fenris has said, like, you know, he massively regrets all of this stuff. And it's a real shame because it's sort of, it mars the release of the album. I mean, now with the, you know, benefit of years afterwards, we can look back and just enjoy Transylvania Hunger for what it is, which felt like a, a really brilliant refinement of what that band were doing. But it's a shame because, you know, they get dropped from Peaceful at this point. As you'll probably know, they sort of re-sign with them in the future, but it means Dartford have this sort of period in the wilderness where they're they're less well known um, when they were, you know, previously on this like you know kind of stratospheric rise to fame in the midst of this really exciting scene, and with an album like Transylvania Hunger that is 
and then I mean this is no insight it's probably my favorite of the those first three black metal releases is more accessible it's a bit more it's got more melodic hooks to it I would say it it's ever so slightly less harsh although retaining that that very treble heavy kind of energy that that rawness but yeah it's just it's an easier in like I think this is the album if you you wanted to some show someone who had never heard the kind of noise and black metal scene like wanted to quickly summarize it and give them like an in to get into it Transylvania Hunger feels like a really good start point for that and just a spectacular release but sadly sadly one that um yeah, when a lot of people involved in it at the time look back, uh, they don't seem all that happy about. paper 1995 may look like a really good year for peaceful in terms of releases this is the start of a, an issue that, that kind of led to the downfall of this era of the label where due to funding issues and stuff like the book goes into this in great detail so i won't try and summarize it too much but how many sells peaceful essentially to music for nations um and it's left in a position where you can still sort of run it but music for nations a much bigger label at the time get a lot of influence over what's going on there and the, the the things this really starts causing problems with so so autopsy are coming out with their fourth album the very divisive shit fun which again was them attempting to push the boundaries of going more and more horrible going more and more harsh i have exactly the same criticism of this album as i do acts of the unspeakable but it was a case they sort of said they had gone for an even more gross out cover and it ended up with a really god-awful cover the album the album actually has and said like it was just something where the bigger label just looked at this and just did not know what to do with it didn't want to handle it and i think probably led to that initial breakup of autopsy because they didn't really get any support from this and yeah, as a kind of a sad way for things to go out for them with that label in the early years. We get two more American death metal releases on the label this year as well. Uh, another Mortis Gold album 
again, sorry about that, and realising I missed another one on Death Records, so Vital Remains put out their debut Let Us Pray through Death Records in 92, and 95 come up with the their second album, the follow-up, Into Cold Darkness, that gets released via Peaceville proper. This one always struck me as an interesting one, because the cover with like the wolf on the kind of forest background, and even the font and everything, this looks like it should be a black metal album, but what you get is this kind of very, like meaty american death metal release like you know something that has it like nods towards the sort of deicide sound albeit a bit more slow and kind of like heavy in a doomy sense in places like it's it's got fast double kicks through most of the album it's not it's not doom slow but it it is a bit more sort of ponderous and atmospheric which is particularly interesting because i'd never really listened to the um pre uh dave suzuki era of um of vital remains i sort of like know them well for the kind of dechristianize um dawn of the apocalypse that kind of stuff uh so yeah into cold darkness feels like a very different beast like a largely different lineup and has none of that sort of very like flashy technical energy like albums like icons of evil would have i think it's really enjoyable and it you know it's less over long than some of those later ones. I, I, it's it's an interesting one to revisit, and I, I do just love that sort of melding of like a completely odd aesthetic for, for this sort of style at the time. We get the third album from My Dying Bride, The Angel in the Dark River, which is a really, I really enjoyed this one because it felt like it was just them really confidently following on from the previous one, following that path they'd forged themselves, the the kind of epic 12 main opener of cry of mankind being really unafraid to play with dragging stuff out and using these really kind of amazing spacious like atmospheric passages interesting with that doing it was kind of like tapping guitar pattern which you know is often the the realm of more technical music that kind of sound but they they use it to make this yeah dark melancholic atmosphere and then like a song like from the darkest skies really leaning into all that great sort of clean vocals violin work this very melodic very dark and grim grim music like the they're a bleak band but they do it very well and yeah the you know this was <laughs> two weeks of listening to this band a lot i i've really been converted on these albums i don't know if this is this is probably not my favorite of this group but i i was very impressed by the angel and dark river just taking the the sort of raw material of turn loose the swans and just polishing and honing it and you know continuing on that vein but still kind of forging new ground so the final two releases i want to speak about from this year on peaceville are from anathema so we get in close succession the pentecost free ep which is another mammoth length uh, ep recording like 40 minutes although only only five tracks and then quickly followed up by their second album the excellent the silent enigma so with Pentecost Free, like for me, that's the absolute peak of what I like about Anathema. So this is still with the old vocalist uh, Darren J. White, who was more of a traditional death metal vocalist, and this is them. I think at the peak of their sort of death doominess, like tracks like "We the Gods," it, "We the Gods" is definitely the best Anathema song. I uh, I will fight people on this one. Like it is an amazing ten minute epic that builds up to this just incredible riff but the ep as a whole is, is like it's just 
super doomy, like really just brilliantly capturing a kind of sound and energy that's, you know, that, that idea that had been resonating around peace at the time, but getting the peak of that sort of early British death metal meets doom kind of feel. And then with the Silent Enigma, they completely change things up by, the, the, you know, it sounds like there's some stuff going on behind the scenes, but uh, Vincent, the guitarist, takes over on vocals. Um, uh, Darren's fired from the band, and we have this really interesting approach to the Silent Enigma where they they sort of kept that sort of death doom riffing, but the vocals become quite melodic and yeah maybe following a touch on to that my dying bride type sound but there's almost a there's more of a traditional cleanness to the vocals but that sounds really weird especially for the time mixed with this very dark very bleak music um yeah like the silent enigma really really incredible release and sadly kind of stands alone like you, you get this you know 55 minute album and they're about to change direction again they don't sit with the sound for very long at all it's just like an immensely beautiful album moving to these like harsher rocky moments and like the delivery of the kind of more scream vocals feels very sort of pained and emotionally charged and then the cleans like as i say they're moving towards that sort of more classic singing kind of style but you can tell vincent isn't quite there yet he's still learning his voice i think i think he sort of took over the singing for this very like much as it was going apparently like i think darren even came to studio and started doing his kind of more traditional death metal screams over it and the band that didn't work for the band so then vincent sort of just stepped up and gave it a go so this is it's an amazing product considering considering that sort of like transitional nature of it and it, it sounds as the edge is a very singular release from the band So going into 96, I get the impression like there was a lot of tension in the label and I think there's a lot of internal t tension between bands as well. Like there's a lot happening in this time period that maybe wasn't that positive. But, you know, for an external viewer, there were some really cool releases. We get Dominion's Interface, which is the debut for another British band who are doing something I, I think must be fairly unique at the time. They remind me of like a proto version of something, I don't know if you've ever heard the band Project Hate, where they're mixing these kind of very clean, poppy female vocals with sort of death metal, groove metal, maybe a touch of industrial, um, and 
yeah having this really fun back and forth between two vocalists like i found interface to be an immensely catchy album it might be too cheesy for some but you know if you really like that sort of clean vocal style but when it mixes something a bit heavier yeah I, I i thought it was a very fun release and like a very creative album we get um another release from my dying bride like gods of the sun um and honestly as i say quite new to my dying bride this is one i just haven't digested enough in in the research it seemed good i i, I liked it i just it's not jumped out to me as much as some of those around it i think sort of continuing on and relatively similar vein to the last two and finally anathema make the start of their big direction change with eternity i spoke about this album at quite length uh, about a year and a half back when i was sort of doing my deep dive into some like older stuff and found like this along with stuff like catatomes discouraged ones i got really really into i love what they're doing in this album so they've kind of moved away from the doom like Vincent is fully leaned into the clean vocals on this, but unlike the rest of the albums for an FMO that will follow, they're still very metallic, like the songs are still heavy and down-tuned, they're really interestingly layered, there's loads of cool stuff going on, some amazing guitar work on it, some just really beautiful progressions, and it's kind of fascinating to me, because reading the band talk about this, like, they seem to really not like Eternity. I think Vincent says he's frustrated with his vocals on it because, you know, he was singing in the wrong register and stuff. But I think his vocals are really beautiful in it. And I think there's kind of a uniqueness to him trying to do such a kind of clean delivery over these really heavy, detuned guitars and that. It has a has a sound I really like, um, but not quite up to the level of maybe the, the two releases before it. But it's it's certainly an interesting transition, and I, I think a really immensely catchy, enjoyable album. But yeah, sadly, sadly not one the band have a lot of time for. Going into '97, we have a few, a few more kind of UK releases that were all stuff that like never really blew up. So we have another release from Dominion, um, you know, continuing on that style of like sort of death metal meets that sort of more poppy catchiness um the blood divine put out the second album mystica who i've not really mentioned them but they're just one i didn't really connect with so much from listening one i kind of regret not spending more time on and like i really enjoyed it from like first listen but i need more to absorb it is acrimony with their second album uh tulumi shumarum um which it's like it's very psychedelic and silly looking the cover of like yeah worth looking up but acrimony like short-lived band who um have a very sort of weed and uh, acid fueled sort of style um and their music is this interesting kind of bridge between the kind of harsh stonerness of of sort of like your dope throne kind of thing but leaning somewhat more into psychedelic rock they, they seem like a really cool sort of artifact of the era and it's yeah and i might definitely want to spend more time on it. it's got a it's got a nice like vibe to it and it just like they just get that sort of very distorted very very heavy big sound you want from that style of stoner doom down very well and mixing that slight psychedelic edge in there it keeps the album really kind of interesting and varied yeah i mean maybe they are quite a well-known one but yeah I'd, I'd never come across acrimony before and definitely one i'll be revisiting more after this episode one i definitely won't be revisiting in any form is black star barbed wire soul um 
you may know, Blackstar is basically the swan song carcass lineup minus Bill Steer, but with Mark Griffiths of Cathedral come in to continue really what carcass were doing on swan song and swan song's not an album i ever really liked and blackstar just kind of pushed further in that direction jeff's vocals on this he kind of sounds like alexi leo over these kind of there's the old cool riff but like there's just these very rocky you know that that kind of swan song sound it's it's fine i guess but yeah just really disappointing after um after like all the years of early carcass you know and then you know at least they're now back and we we get to get to hear all that cool stuff again so this brings us into 1998 and this feels like kind of coming to the the end of this era for peaceville um i think at this time music for nations have been bought out by an even bigger label so there's all sorts of horrible stuff going on behind the scenes and you know obviously us as fans of of this kind of metal now know that you know peaceful have kind of come back in a big way but like this is coming to the end of of like hammy's time with it and there's still some cool stuff coming out particularly 99 there's a reason i'm finishing on that here some some great releases this is a like 98 has three studio albums come out on peaceville and they are interesting ones first uh first up is thine a town like this I do not know what to make of this album. It's very odd. It it sort of feels like something that's maybe aping some of what Anathema Paradise Lost that were doing at the time, where it's like this kind of, in a lot of places, quite heavy down-tuned stuff with this very precise, fast, double-kick kind of drumming. But then the vocals are these bizarre clean vocals which are so front and center of the mix and i really don't know what to make of it it's yeah yeah it's it, it's certainly original but i, I yeah i genuinely like i don't know how i feel about a town like this but it's um certainly an interesting artifact i'd, I'd recommend checking it out just because yeah it's a bizarre sounding album um we get uh, Anethma's Alternative 4, um, which is, is it's a really interesting one, because like, I, I was listening to this before before I kind of um, did any reading of this. I've, I've had, had a lot of these Anethma albums for a long time. Um, and I've always felt Alternative 4 felt like them sort of going more melodic, going, you know, really starting to push towards that very sort of poppy kind of progressive rocky direction and Ethma would would more or less move into for the rest of their career from this point it's it's sort of the real start of that like taking those ideas from genesis and simple uh, genesis from eternity and um like simplifying things like less detuned guitars and and does all the band talking about this they really like this album because they're like oh we simplified things down like vincent's vocals kind of feel more natural on this but for me, like Alternative Four has the issue of it's it's a nice melodic album. I like it, but it just it didn't hit me in the same way as the two before it. And and there is that thing because they've simplified all the music, like the lyrics are so much more front and center and they're these very earnest, very, you know, sort of heartfelt lyrics, but sometimes they just don't quite work. And like those moments where they're a bit clunky are just so much more noticeable because 
they are just so front and center so it's it's a really nice album in a lot of ways it's just i miss what they were doing before and i i kind of feel sad that like almost each previous album or ep was like a, a, a brief statement in a genre and then they've just gone on to do something different talking of bands doing something different we get um the fifth my dying bride album the terribly titled 34.788 percent complete um and this was a weird one i wasn't expecting this this album feels like they've taken on kind of like and i i mean this in the nicest possible way but a bit of like an alt rock almost proto new metal vibe to some of the riffing I I really don't know how this one sits with the fans. Like I mean, maybe maybe it's still a popular one. And again, as I say, I've not spent a huge amount of time with with all these albums because I've been trying to get through a lot in a short space. But I bounced off this one in quite a serious way. It has a again very the album cover is a completely different style as well. It it feels like it wouldn't be out of place in that like kind of like early pitch shifter style. Um, yeah. It's, it's an odd one. I, I'm really not sure about it. But then again, you, you have to remember, like, My Dying Bride were trying a lot of things, and the output from this band is utterly ridiculous in this time period. Between 92 and 99, we get six albums, most of which are an hour long, and they're regularly changing up how they're approaching things. And, you know, th- these do seem like incredibly fought out you know albums they're working on and they're touring at the same time like they were really going for a lot so I, I can forgive one album that's not totally my thing so the final year i'm going to cover is 1999 there's three releases this year and there are two signings which were probably the reason i decided to extend it to this of riding high off the success of discouraged ones and my arms your hearse um peaceful got in touch with catatonia and offering them a deal they thought was favorable they signed the label told like members of cat like members of catatonia very friendly with members of opeth told them about the deal and opeth were like oh if we could have the same deal we'll come along as well so there is this kind of really interesting thing of picking up these two bands just as they're on a real rise like obviously opeth had just put out my arms your hearse the album they will do with with peaceful is still life which is you know where they kind of really solidify the sound that will lead to Blackwater Park. But sadly, it's it's a kind of short-lived thing where neither of these bands stay on the label for much time at all and sort of poach to move on, like, poach very quickly and move on to other things. And, you know, in, in the book, Hammy talks about losing Opeth as being, like, the great regret where he thought he'd found a band, you know, just as they were about to explode and due to you know rubbish behind the scenes stuff um let them go also at this point in time we get uh, my dying bride with the light at the end of the world um light at the end of the world i really liked this was this was one of the ones that stood out to me a lot of from their early catalog they've gone in a far harsher direction i i would say like it seems like a real return to their sort of death metal roots in a way i mean there's there's still the melodicism there but the the opening two tracks in particular um oh, what are they 
she is the dark and eden beast are really quite brutal in places like the drum performance is so much kind of more intense and fast than it has been for a while and there's a real lean into the heavy scream vocals on this one yeah just a a really like brutal album from this band and but because it's still mixing in that melodicism that kind of you know very heartfelt poetry as well and there's still that kind of sense of epicness my dying bride are very good at yeah just a fantastic real like death doom release after having a few albums that sort of moved away from that style this felt like a real a real great return to form catatonia at this point um put out to tonight's decision which um you know following on from discouraged ones I've, I've spoken before about really really loving uh, discouraged ones tonight's decision is kind of continuing more to that sort of rocky format the you know the band would go towards and you know more or less stay with for the rest of their career like throwing in more kind of nice vocal harmonies and you know yeah, their music at this point is a very far cry from the brave murder day type sound and um it really works i, I think it's a i think it's a great album it was probably not one of my favorite catatonia releases but you know it's a really solid one and then yeah as i say to finish this all off we get opeth still life which obviously i've i've spoken about at length um is a completely legendary album in my my book possibly my favorite opeth album and as you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Opeth fan, so, you know, that ranks as one of my my all-time favourite albums. Um, I think we, we did talking about Opeth to death on the uh, 100th episode, though, so I, I won't labour the point. But I think it's a really interesting album to sort of close out the 90s for Peaceville. As you can see, like, there's a really interesting evolution to their sound. Like, I, I like the way they've always been as a label, very eclectic, starting out with that sort of punk DIY kind of scene, moving into, like, the thrash metal and the thrash metal evolving into death metal, but always still having that sort of punk attitude, and then at the same time having this offshoot of, like, doom coming from the death metal, and then that doom getting more and more melodic over time while also running those labels like Dreamtime, which I haven't really gone into, and they're sort of less my thing, but playing with sort of industrial stuff and a lot of other genres, like, this is a really interesting thing to be running alongside, say, like, Earache, who had a lot of bands going on. It seems like the two labels were were sort of very intertwined in their ways. Stuff like, you know, Autopsy literally being picked up because era could pass on them i assume for having too many death metal bands at the time and yeah there's a there's a real amazing legacy and not to mention as well like having one of the foundational second wave black metal bands on them something that wasn't as huge on the uh the british labels like eric didn't have any black metal signings um so yeah they i've enjoyed doing this dive into them it's been really nice to sort of see that evolution of the kind of the peaceful free as well like I, I really wasn't aware that gothic predated the debuts from anathema and my dying bride i didn't realize quite how early early to that sound paradise lost were which yeah kind of incredible and as i say rounding it all out was still life kind of showing where that sort of proggy death doom influence music was going to go through the early 2000s 
as I say, if you want more information on this, I, I highly advise getting like Hammy's Peaceful Life autobiography. It's a it's a really great read, and I've been heavily sort of misquoting from it. I'm sure throughout this episode, sort of missing missing the all the anecdotal details of what was changing and shifting behind the scenes, like with all these albums. As always, though, I like doing these episodes as a way to chart kind of how music changed like i find that kind of early 90s period of metal fascinating where these sounds are sort of so much more evolving um yeah if you enjoy this episode like let me know like i i do there are a lot more effort to do but i do like doing these like label profile things i think they're that they are quite fun to research if you've got a suggestion of like a label and time period please um please hit me up um uh phil's breakfast metal on facebook and instagram or if you want to send a a longer message phil's breakfast metal at gmail.com for um for emails uh, yeah and thanks a lot for listening Today.